From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Thanks for joining us here at AutoLine Detroit. You know, we've gotten through the first half of 2011 and a lot of new cars have come out. In fact, believe it or not, in the U.S. market, there's more than one new vehicle coming out every single week. So there's a lot to talk about what's going on. And joining me today for that discussion of all the new cars that have come out so far this year are Tony Swan from Car and Driver Magazine. Great having you here, Tony. Good to be here. Again. And we've also got Eddie Alterman, also the editor of Car and Driver Magazine. Eddie, great having you back here Thanks, again. John. Yeah, it's good to be here. And I should also mention, too, that the three of us are on the jury for the North American Car and Truck of the Year Awards, and we'll be voting on those awards later this year. But this is sort of a, a mid-year preview. And so you guys have driven all kinds of vehicles right now. Eddie, anything that really jumps out at you? You know, I think what's really interesting is the dynamic happening in the C segment of cars, or what used to be called compacts. They've grown quite a bit. They've gotten more expensive, much more feature-rich. Give us some examples of what you mean by C-class cars. C-class cars like a Ford Focus, a Honda Civic, uh, a Chevrolet Cruze. Hyundai Sonata. Uh, Hyundai Sonata. Uh, no, Hyundai uh, Elantra. Elantra. Sonata is okay. more mid-size, okay. sort of CD segment. Um, cars. So that's uh, sort of the classification there. But everything has been shuffled in that segment. And where the Honda Civic was far and away you know, the best car in that segment, the best selling car, now everything's kind of been reshuffled. Ford Focus really stands out as a, a winner to me. It's, uh, it's fantastic in terms of its uh, vehicle dynamics. Um, it does have a couple weak spots, but um, such as uh, the dual-clutch automatic and the kind of clumsy MyTouch, my Ford Touch infotainment system. But, you know, you take those options off and you have a cheaper, better car. So it only strengthens its position in the market. You like I think the Focus, one, too? I think well, the Focus is uh, really one of the achievements this year, and I would say it, it's certainly a very strong candidate for car uh, 20, 2012 uh, Car of the Did Year. Did I, uh, you know, prematurely declare it the winner just now? <laughs> I may have. <laughs> We're not trying to influence that. anybody that the Focus is better, <laughs> but... Uh, the uh, point that Eddie just touched on about infotainment, it was interesting in a way. Derek Kuzak, the head of product development worldwide for Ford here uh, recently, and he's talking about uh, the sync system and so on. And it is complicated, and uh, Ford is advocating that buyers of these systems should have to go to school at the dealer. Uh, and I think that some system that requires schooling in order to operate, you know, there's something wrong with that design. It might be flawed. But, uh, yeah, I, I would certainly fail because I'm a Luddite. But the point is that um, Derek was uh, advocating the importance of information and entertainment for the driver rather than other aspects, you know, attributes that we hold dear, which is uh, the driving experience. So... Uh, I agree that that's a soft point with the Focus and with other Ford, current Ford products. Yeah, uh, it didn't bother me that much. Maybe I went to school, but uh, I love the Ford Focus. I think it's a terrific car. Uh, compare that, though, to a new competitor or a refreshed competitor, the Honda Civic that's out right now. It's almost like they traded places. Uh, the Civic used to be really an engaging, uh, very light, uh, you know, fun to drive, very uh, well-tuned chassis. Um, now it's sort of like had all the fun sucked out of it. And uh, it, it's just an incredible um, step backward for that vehicle and a, a depressing one. 
The, the impression that we uh, keep talking about a car and driver is that somebody, somehow uh, Honda seems to want to become Toyota with these bland products that are probably going to be pretty reliable, not uh, reflecting on Toyota's recent travails, but uh, that our character is just absent. And that is certainly true of the Civic. I, I think disappointment is an awfully strong word, but it's pretty close to that. I should say, however, that the Civic Si is pretty darn good. You know, they... Uh, That's the high-performance version. Exactly. Of it. It's almost sort of like what VW is doing in that same segment with Jetta versus GLI. The Jetta is very dumbed down and... Uh, it, it, that's a whole other show, probably. But they're still retaining, <laughs> you know, the uh, the independent rear end for the GLI, and they're making that uh, a true enthusiast machine. Well, that's interesting, though, about the uh, SI. Uh, they made some uh, detail improvements and everything, but in terms of its performance, it's competing with the uh, the Volkswagen GTI and with the uh, Mazda Speed 3. It's in that segment, and it is not a performance competitor for either. That's true. That's true, but it is so much better than the mainstream Civics that I think it's worth mentioning. Okay, as long as we're talking uh, C-Class cars like the Focus and uh, the Civic, what about the Hyundai Elantra? Really, really strong. I mean, it's sort of like they tick all the boxes, you know. Um, The Korean cars are coming on uh, so forcefully now. And um, the one thing I will say about the Elantra is it lacks flow. And that's sort of a very... Explain that. What do you mean by uh, lacking that, flow? That, that harmony of controls, the, the predictability and linearity of, of the steering, the braking, uh, the powertrain, uh, and the chassis, those are the things that get honed and say, like, you know, the Focus really has great flow. It's got that terrific um, mechanical character where everything just feels right. The Elantra doesn't quite have that tuning yet, but it ticks all the boxes for sure. Ticks all the boxes, and of course, it looks pretty damn good. It looks great. Which, uh, you know, that's a big plus. So styling whether we counts. like it or not, styling is uh, is still a, a key factor. It's got a rear view camera. It's got uh, heated rear seats. I mean, the feature content in this class is just unbelievable. That's something that uh, Hyundai has really been uh, able to do with a lot of its recent products, too. And uh, that's where they trump uh, a lot of other manufacturers. I would agree. Uh, and I would also say that... The one failing that I see, it's not failing. The, the one thing where Hyundai cannot really claim to be a benchmark is in chassis dynamics. I don't think they're quite there yet. I wonder if it's in their rush to get their products to market, maybe they should have spent another three or four months at the proving ground to really get that, that synergy of how everything flows together. And that I, does take a long time yeah. and a lot of evolution. And they bring cars to the market. They don't fully have all the corners finished, and they keep working on them through... Uh, model years. It's a continuous improvement cycle. So And improved they have, but I don't entirely agree with you uh, uh, in terms of the Sonata, which is very good. You know, we did a comparison with the Honda Accord, which is, in our view, has been the benchmark uh, dynamically in that, uh, in that segment, and the, the Sonata was right there. So uh, it's pretty good. And the Kia... Uh, Optima. I would still say the Accord's more fluid, and it's a little bit more. It's lighter yeah, on its feet. But it's, uh, they're close. The Sonata is close. And, of course, at the end of the day, it really kind of came down to styling. And Eddie says, well, we can't just pick it because it, it, it's, it has better styling. Well, this is what influences purchase decisions. What else do you guys see out there that you like? Let, let's talk about the domestics. Chrysler's got a couple of uh, new vehicles out there. The new 300. They really, I think, spent their money in the right place. Uh, Marchione said back at that first big day-long powwow two years ago, he said, you know, this project was far too long, 
far uh, too down the road for me to kill it because it's so expensive. But um, they really did focus very, very intently on the interior, on chassis dynamics. And, you know, the old one was great and it was a classic American uh, rear drive front engine V8. But you always felt like you're driving your dad's car. You know, the high sills and the kind of big play in the steering. It's all been sort of tightened up and, and tamped down, and it really, I think, is a great evolution of, uh, of the previous vehicle. Quality of materials uh, within is, uh, is much improved, and I think that that's a plus for them, too. And uh, I guess that uh, talking about Chrysler and Fiat and so on uh, kind of brings us to the 500, which is an interesting uh, player. Cinquecento. In C. And... Uh, I view that car as a novelty, but uh, and I think that the bloom is going to come off be, just because of the uh, limited utility there, and also the performance is, you know, modest to be kind. Hundred horsepower, you know, it's light, but uh, at the same time, I think Tony's right. You know, these things have sort of a shelf life or a cute uh, sell-by date of eighteen months or so, <laughs> and you have to keep refreshing it. And Mini has, I think, done an amazing job of allowing people to customize their cars and keep the things fresh. Um, we have yet to see that from Fiat. We have yet to see that kind of push into the market. Now, of course, Mini has blazed quite a trail, but you don't see Fiat coming with this really creative, fun advertising, uh, you know, all the, uh, the kind of, I would say, culture around the car yet. It might be on its way. It might, but of course, you know, they've had problems launching the car. They can't get their dealer network lined up or they've been slow in doing that. So I'm not sure that we've really seen enough of them on the road and I, I haven't seen much of any advertising. There's also a Cabrio coming and then a performance version, the Arbart. So I, I think right. they will extend the model range. What I, I find about the car is I like it. Overall, I think it's pretty good, but with an automatic transmission, oh. it's slow as molasses. It's uh, glacial. Zero to 60 is June, you know. Yeah, right. And uh, there are limits to what people will accept their fuel economy notwithstanding. P.J. O'Rourke did a piece for us on that, and he said, for a car with so much personality, it ought to have more personality. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. My only fear for them is I think uh, Fiat has set overly ambitious sales targets for that car in the U.S. market, and uh, they may be disappointed in that regard. It may sell well, but I don't think it's going to sell to the level they expect. And there might be a great initial bump and a lot of pent-up demand for it, and, you know, I think the timing is right, uh, but, you know, extending it and making it into a fully-fledged brand, that's going to really be the question. Mm -hmm. What about uh, going uh, sticking with the, the Chrysler Group, Dodge Charger? I think the same thing holds true of the Charger as for the 300, don't you, Tom? I think so, too, and I think that, uh, the, you know, the little styling tweaks that they made to it, they retained that, uh, you know, city with broad shoulders kind of character, but uh, it looks better. It looks a little, uh, little more refined, and, uh, and, of course, the dynamics and so on uh, are, are similar to the Chrysler. I mean, there isn't too much distinction there. And, of course, you can get the SRT8 so that you can listen to Huma. Right. Which is one of my favorite tunes, <laughs> rapidly disappearing. Yeah, I, I can't wait for the eight-speed transmission to come in, though, because the, the V6 model, which is affordable and, and, and it's a good engine, it replaces a whole, like, a you know, a uh, plethora of engine V6s. Several V6s of which they were previously proud. Right. <laughs> but it makes this power up high, and accessing that power with the existing five-speed is not all that easy, and it's a little frustrating. But uh, it's just nice to have that format 
be as healthy as it is. You know, uh, Ford discontinued the Panther platform. The rear drive. Rear drive, about, yeah, right? rear drive uh, V8 front engine. Um, and it's good that there, there seems to be signs of health in that segment. I, I agree. I think they've done a good job of refresh, refreshing the Charger. I think they spent their money very wisely. The only thing I don't like gets to what you were talking about. I think in calibrating the powertrain for the ultimate in fuel economy, the, it's what I call uh, a sticky ca calibration. I feel like the, the torque converter in the transmission is always locked up. And when I step into it, 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 it's like a hesitation before it really goes. And I think an eight-speed automatic transmission will allow them to open up that calibration, so to speak, that'll and make help. it a lot more yeah. friendly to drive. That'll help. But one of the things that we see practically across the board with automatic transmissions, they want to get you to top gear by the end of the driveway. Exactly, <laughs> as fast as possible. And so you're always, to get meaningful power out of that V6, right now with the five-speed, you've got to drop down two gears because it's always getting you in top gear. We haven't talked about anything from General Motors yet. They've got the, the Buick Verano and the, the Chevy Sonic uh, coming out. Tony, any thoughts on those cars? Well, the only version of the Verano that I've driven is the one with the manual transmission, bless their hearts, for doing something That's like that. That's the Regal you drove. Well, yes. Okay. The Verano's the smaller one. Different cars, though. But with the, uh, the, the, the manual transmission is not well matched to that engine, and it just is a, a disappointing thing to drive. But... Of course, what, what they're doing there, it's amazing. Uh, the, these cars just look terrific inside and out. And now with the $24,000 C-segment entry, they're really taking that compact class or small midsize class to another level. Uh, so I think there's really nothing in there except for maybe an Acura or two uh, that can compete, and certainly nothing American. I mean, you can get a Focus up to 28 grand, but now you've got this Buick that really is very quiet. Uh, I think it's uh, the right size, and it's uh, an interesting foray into that market. I haven't driven the car yet, but some people have said they don't think it's quite a Buick. Do you think a small car can be a Buick? What does that mean anymore? That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. I don't... I, I, Depends on your era, you know. I mean, I think of the Electric 225. Yeah. <laughs> Forget that. That was not. It's small. over. It's a different age. Yeah, that's right. Not just a different day. It's a different age. How about the Chevrolet Sonic, which used to be the Aveo, and that earned not a great reputation for itself. I in think the market. that's going to be kind of the the enthusiast starter vehicle, sort of like the Nissan Sentra SER was back in the 90s. Uh, they've got the cruise engine in it. It's lightweight. It's got that great power to ratio, weight ratio that you don't get in what we're calling the B segment, which is Honda Fit. Um, you know, Mazda 2 is very light, and the Sonic is uh, heavier than that. But um, what's interesting about the Sonic is the up-powered version, the enthusiast version, is also the EcoChamp. So I think they've got it And EcoChamp meaning that not only do you get performance, MPG, you get yeah. good fuel economy, exactly. too. Exactly. Exactly. I would agree with that. You know, uh, I, I think that lends it, that kind of a car lends itself to simple customization with, you know, exhaust and wheels and maybe even headlamps, some of the stuff that might have been done by enthusiasts 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, and it looks great. I think it looks cool, and I it think does. it will erase the stigma of the Aveo. The Aveo was just a cheap Korean car. I mm -hmm. mean, and it was, it was really pretty forgettable. And this car, uh, it's a whole different ballgame. And also, they're going to assemble them in the U.S. Yeah. Well, and I think yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's very telling, that uh, General Motors can now assemble a B-class car, you know, subcompact car in the United States Absolutely. with UAW labor and not losing money on it. That, that's a, a sea change in what's happened at General Motors in the last two years. Absolutely. And that might be the most significant thing about this car.
Mm-hmm. Okay, we've, we've talked about, you know, B and C class cars and, uh, and even A, I guess. With, is the Fiat 500? Is, no, that's a B class. Let, let's go to the other end of the expe- uh, spectrum. Let's go to uh, luxury, and I'll throw one out there, the new Audi A7. That's a stunner. It's just fantastic looking, and the utility is off the charts. Uh, they've taken that kind of coupe profile that the uh, Mercedes-Benz CLS pioneered, the four-door coupe profile, and uh, I think they've taken it to another level. Well, it's a gorgeous car, and it's gorgeous inside, which is something that Audi has been doing so well, especially like that wood trim, trim where you can actually feel the green in the wood. Amazing. And uh, I love the performance of the car. Some of our colleagues have been saying that uh, you get into crosswind situations at fairly high speeds, it can get a little dicey, and that uh, I think you were talking about the tires. I found the dynamics to be very good. It's heavy, but it's uh, so, so say they all. Yeah, yeah what they, Tony's uh, referring to is uh, in my test drive of the car, we had a pouring rain, and I was driving down the freeway at 70 miles an hour. The car started hydroplaning tugging it this way and that way. It wasn't, you know, too bad, yeah, but it's been spin. years since I've been in a car that started hydroplaning at highway speeds. And that's a factor of the tires on the car, which are very low-profile sport tires. Not anything bad with the car, but nonetheless, I found that to be a, an odd selection. And Well, a lot of those cars, though, when they get to dealers, they're going to go out the door with uh, all-season tires on them. That's what the dealers uh, clamor for. Mm-hmm. What I think is interesting, too, about <clears throat> this is the pricing. You know, it starts right around 60 and a uh, well-optioned one, I think, will be mid-60s. We drove one that was, I think, 65 and had all the stuff on it. Um, a similar CLS from Mercedes will be 20 grand more or 15 grand more. So, uh, that's kind of a, re- a reversal for Audi because, uh, you know, typically they are very expensive when you start piling options on. And uh, what's also interesting about Audi is the way they're um, dealing with the odd number cars, the interstitial, you know, the A5 between the 4 and the 6, very expressive. The 7 between the 6 and the 8, very expressive cars. Uh, my, my only question about uh, the A7 is whether the... The public who buys big sedans like that will warm up to a fastback look, hatchback, fastback look, rather than a f- more formal notchback I'll with tell a you trunk. The Panamera is not great looking, but it's selling like hotcakes. It is. And that's the same format, same layout. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good point. And well, is that, how perceivable is that going to be when you think about the CLS, which has got that shape even though it's got a formal trunk? Right. right. Well, uh, like I said, uh, I'll be interested to see how that kind of a customer reacts to the car and how well it sells. I think it'll do pretty well only because Audi seemingly is on a roll these days. They, they just keep knocking them out of the park. Yeah. It's uh, the American rejection of uh, hatchbacks in general, I mean, I think is, is diminishing. You know, if the younger buyers coming into the market, there's more acceptance there. Although, you know, you look at the difference between the Golf and the Jetta, uh, six-to-one Jetta here, and in Europe, it's vice versa. Well, we talked about the the Mercedes CLS, and that's been redone for this year, too. I haven't been in the car. Have either of you been in it? I have not. No, nor have I. Okay, how about the Mercedes? Swiftly along. The SLK. (laughs) Have not driven it. That just came out, right. So I guess we we don't have a whole lot to talk about that. But also in the luxury end, I guess, is uh, the Nissan Murano, what they're calling the cross cabrio. Yeah. You laugh, Eddie. Why? Well, we just did a story on that called The Oddity, and it was a takeoff on 
Homeric epic verse. Uh, so it was, it was uh, you know, trying to capture the absurdity of that vehicle. But there really is nothing like it. I think that it will find its buyer. I mean, it's very luxurious inside. You could, it could almost be an infinity. And there's really no crossover that offers, um, you know, a drop top. And I think for a certain Orange County housewife, they might uh, I think really that, enjoy yeah, it. I, I agree. I think that the buyers, all three of them, will really enjoy it. <laughs> this thing is absurd. I, I don't get it at all. It's really expensive. I forget what the numbers are, but it's by far the most expensive thing in that lineup, the Murano lineup. But absurdity makes the world go round. I mean, I'm driving a G55 AMG Mercedes-Benz. Quite an absurd vehicle. Also quite enjoyable. Yeah, you could look at certain political candidates. No names. Yeah, what I like about the Murano Cross Cabrio is, uh, thank goodness, the industry has finally come out with a four-door convertible again. I mean, it, it's been ages since There was the seen. Wrangler. Well, yeah, but, yeah, I, I, I hear you. But, uh, but I also agree with you, Tony. As much as I appreciate it for being so different, I think this thing will be pretty much sales-proof. I think it's going to tank, yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see, we also uh, have seen a new Impreza from Subaru. What, what do you all think of that? Go. Yeah, a little less expressive, more in line with the legacy. I have not driven it yet, um, but uh, you know the Impreza has gotten softer and softer with each successive uh, generation. So I don't hold out a lot of hope that this is going to be kind of the second coming of that homologated WRX. Well, I do I think that uh, the one thing I'm glad about when you get into the STI end of it, the, the really high-performance one, is that they went back to a sedan body style for it. And uh, I like that snarky little sedan look, although living with it, I mean, that's really a young man's car. Well, I, I'm really impressed by Subaru these days. Uh, you know, somebody forgot to tell them there was a raging recession going on worldwide. They just sailed through that, no problems. They stuck to their guns. They didn't go up market. They, they talked about value. They did not raise prices. And they have such a strange but useful mix of products appealing to so many different constituencies. Very, very interesting product planning. And there well has been done. some rumor of a possible... Uh, two-wheel drive Subaru coming on. I think that'd be a mistake for them. Uh, they, are doing, they have done so well with uh, all-wheel drive on all of their products across the board, and uh, they're sitting in the catbird seat. The last two years, they've exceeded their sales expectations and records, and it, it just keeps going. As my dear mother would say, let's disagree to disagree. <laughs> the uh, rear drive um, FT86 Subaru Sports Coupe, I think, will be a stunner. It's great because they're lowering the engine, they're lowering the center of gravity height, uh, and I think it's just going to be amazing. It's possible for them to expand their whole franchise doing that. We'll see. Okay, Volkswagen making a big push in the American market. Uh, the new Passat's out. We're going to see a new Beetle, totally refreshed Beetle. Your thoughts? Passat is, uh, is interesting that they have to do a U.S. version of it because it got so expensive in Europe, and I, it's hard to see where they took cost out of it. I think they've done a good job in that respect. It's very bland looking. A uh, lot of room inside of it. Uh, Especially hit, rear hitting, leg room. Yeah, they're hitting the uh, right boxes there, and, and we'll see. Uh, very bland to look at, though. It certainly is a good value, but I think when you get a little bit deeper, uh, you know, the reason guys like me bought Volkswagens is because they were really the cheap European alternative, even though they were more expensive than a, a, you know, a similar segment Asian vehicle. Um, 
you know, that hardcore VW guy is looking at this Passat and saying, wait, they've made an Impala here, or they've made, you know, a Camry. Where does that leave me? Um, and I think that's a dangerous game to play. And if you are putting VW now into uh, really the thick of it with Camry in Accord, it has to have quality to beat the band. And uh, I think that that's going to be a, a, a big challenge for them. Um, what's I think still kind of heartening is the fact that they're continuing to do GTI and GLI and the the diesel um, uh, powertrains are fantastic in those in those cars but you know if you're going into the thick of battle with uh, Honda uh, and increasingly General Motors and Ford you've got to have your quality up to snuff and uh, we'll see if Chattanooga where they're building this car can do that. Yeah good point point. and thoughts on the new Beetle? Well, I've, I've only seen it in auto shows, and I think that uh, they made good decisions in terms of this profile. It looks a little less cute and a little more uh, up-to-date, aggressive. I think that part will play, and uh, existing powertrains are okay. I, I don't know any more than that. I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, I've only seen pictures of it, too. I do like the pictures, though. I, I, it is more purposeful than cartoony. Uh, yes, and exactly. that's a that's a good move for the car. I saw it in uh, at New York, and uh, I like the looks of it. And uh, again, one of the problems uh, with the the current one is that you know you have that profile dating back to the beginning of time and b before World War II, and uh, in certain situations when the sun's up here, you've always got the, there's too much window there, and so reducing that roof line is going to uh, help that particular aspect. Yeah, there's a lot of solar gain in that car, and the dashboard is so long. I mean, you can yeah, sleep to get that uh, windshield. Yeah. Well, look, we've gotten through an awful lot. We didn't get through everything, but as I said before, there's so much new product coming out. We're going to have to do this again at the end of the year. But Tony Swan from Car and Driver, Eddie Alterman from Car and Driver, thanks for coming on Autoline Detroit. It's been great having you here again. Thank you, Tony. And thank all of you for tuning in.